You are listening to The Partner Podcast, relevant information to enhance the careers and improve the lives of partner-level attorneys. Produced by The Attorney Search Group, we grow law firms and accelerate attorney careers. Visit us on the web at attorneysearchgroup.com. A veteran in the legal operations field, Stephanie Corey began her career at Hewlett Packard Company as chief of staff and head of legal operations. Stephanie's held similar positions at VMware and Flex International. She's the co-founder of the Corporate Legal Operations Consortium, a leading legal operations association, and co-founder and general partner of Uplevel Ops, a legal strategy and operations consulting firm. Stephanie holds a BA in economics and an MBA from Lehigh University and is a serial entrepreneur in her spare time. So I've got with me on the show today, Stephanie Corey. Stephanie, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Scott. So the topic is how to better understand general counsel concerns and priorities. And this is from a law firm partner's perspective. And Stephanie, give me an overview of your background and your company so we can understand the the frame of reference that you have when talking about this. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Scott. I've been in-house almost my whole career. So I started back at HP way back in 1999 as, um, as their head of legal operations. And after a few years, was promoted to chief of staff where I helped support the general counsel in a bunch of activities and projects and programs that he had going on. Um, one of them being outside council management. That was a big one. I worked at HP for 11 years. And during that time, I started the Corporate Legal Operations Consortium, the clock organization, which if you're not in the legal world, probably has zero meaning. But when you're doing legal operations, it's become a, a very large networking group and really started it with the idea of there's got to be other people out here who are struggling with the same things that I'm struggling with, technology and procurement and outside council management and all of those things. And I started with a very small group of about 15 Bay Area companies, and it's expanded quite a bit since then to support in-house legal operations professionals. Uh, I moved to VMware very briefly, and then a colleague of mine, John Hoke, who was a very experienced general counsel and was running ethics and compliance at HP at the time, moved to Flextronics where he took the GC role there. And he asked me to come over and help build the legal ops team from scratch. And so I was eager to work with John again and got to start all over. So I went from running, I mean, I think by the time I'd left HP, when I started, it was about 200 people in the legal department. When I'd ended, it was about 1,500 people in the legal department. So massive growth, lots of acquisitions, some, you know, organic growth, but a lot of acquisitions. And I had an ops team of about 100 people supporting the legal department. And then at Flex, got to start all over again and be a solo flyer for a while. So that was really fun. And then about, yeah, it was quite a different uh, perspective. It was really (laughs) interesting. Then about three years ago, we decided to cut bait with our corporate jobs and start up-level ops as a consulting business, which is what we've been doing for the last three years. And it's really focusing in really helping general counsels run their legal departments better. 
And so it's a ver- through a variety of ways, right? Legal apps tends to focus on the three tiers that is, has become a little cliche, but I can't figure out a better way to say it. It's really that people process technology. So you want to make sure you've, you've got the right people doing the right things. You know, you're pushing work down as far as you can in the organization and you have people doing as much substantive work as possible. And you have an ops team, hopefully, or a professional who can manage a lot of the administration so that the lawyers aren't overburdened and the lawyers are being used at their highest and best use. You've got your processes cleaned up as best as possible and a a good ops person, that's what they love, process, process, process. So how can we do things better? They wake up in the morning thinking, how can I do this better? And then technology, wherever you can implement technology to support that is is really critical. And the good news is in the last couple of years, we've really seen legal tech completely boom and just take off. And, and it's so much better than it used to be. Well, that's interesting to me because this fits squarely in what should be on the mind of partner-level attorneys. You're talking about everything that's going on in-house. I'm talking to partners that are listening to this and every partner they want one thing. They want more connections with in-house counsel so they can sell work. And so from your perspective, you dominate that field of what's going on on the in-house side in terms of operations and tech. From your perspective, what would you say are some of the leading issues and concerns that those that are working as general counsel have about law firms or things that law firms should know about what's going on in their minds? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, GCs, from an ops perspective, of course, they've got their substantive legal issues, whatever the company is dealing with, that's top of mind for them. But they have a department to manage. And what we see now is the difference between the GC of today versus 20 years ago is that the GCs of today are not really practicing law. Um, they are running the legal department like a business, just like all the other business units. And so when I started in the legal space, I remember when the big consultants would come around, they would skip over the legal department. Legal never had to go through these reviews. And so they didn't have to cut budget. They didn't have to cut headcount. And those days, are it was great for a little while. And then those days are long gone. And so just like all of the other business units, the legal department is meant to be run and expected to be run like a business. In many cases, the general counsels are held to a P&L, just like the businesses are. Certainly wow. to a budget, and uh, and often they legal departments are bringing in revenue at, at, in certain companies, and so they're held to those those numbers. When I was at HP, I mean, and Mark Hurd was the CEO. You just there not making your numbers was simply not an option. You were going to be walked out the door if you didn't make your numbers. So it's a big concern for general counsels. I haven't worked with anybody, and maybe it's self-selecting because they're by the time they're calling us, they're under budget constraints. Right, but I right. haven't worked with any GCs who don't feel that pressure yet. And so, what we like to say is, you know, to the general counsels, you want to get everything in order before the CEO or the CFO comes knocking, and to the extent that you can, you can show that you have some rigor around. You're not over a barrel to try to squeeze money wherever you can. You've got that, those processes in place. You've got those levers to pull, you know, what's going on in your department. You know what you're spending. And we're starting to see that more and more in terms of especially now, the people who are calling me most, Scott, this is the, probably the most interesting thing to me in the last three years. I assume the people who would be looking at legal operations were the more mature legal departments, the mid-level ones. The super big ones like the HPs of the world, they've they've got legal apps in place. They won't be calling us. The small companies won't be calling us. That mid-level company, that's who that's going to be our sweet spot. 
But what I'm seeing is it's the new GCs who are calling us most often. And so it's these startup companies who don't even have a full team in place yet, but they're starting to spend money with outside counsel. They're starting to to really face the fact that they're going to have to start hiring in order to scale. And so what they do is they call us and they say, give us this infrastructure. We need ops in place now so that when my first attorney comes in, they're practicing law. They're not dealing well, with that's proactive, issues. Right, right. It's very proactive. And it's, and I asked, you know, at first they, they probably thought I was crazy, but I would ask them, why are you calling me? Why am I one of the first phone calls you're making? I'm just very surprised. And usually it's because they came from larger companies and they saw how messy it was. They didn't want to wait 10 years. They didn't want to have 10 years of a mess to clean up. And so I think where law firms can really play in this space is to, it's a missed opportunity if you don't know how your clients are, are running themselves on the inside. If you don't know how your clients are being run, if you don't know the inner workings of a legal department, I think it's a real missed opportunity. And Scott, like the, like you, forgive me for rambling, but you, you kind of alluded to in your question when you said, you know, what can law firms do better? I do a lot of speaking. And one of the things I, when I'm talking to law firm groups, you know, and there's a bunch of law firm client, uh, the audience is filled with law firms versus in-house lawyers. One of the things I like to ask is, okay, law firms, think of your top 10 clients. Of those, how many actually have a chief of staff or a head of legal operations? And nobody really raises their hand. Once in a while, you'll see a hand go up. And to me, that's the missed opportunity because that that's the person who is making a lot of the decisions. That's the decision maker. And at the very least, you know, while the GC is always the final decision maker, that's the person that's advising. That's the counselor. Yeah. So what should a partner that has a client do? Let's say a partner is working with a large client on a matter and they've worked with them for over a year. There's some good history. There's some wins. There's a lot of shared emotions back and forth. And it's, it's a great client. What would be some action steps you'd recommend for that partner to take to rectify this, to get more front and center with those that are in a leadership role within the in-house department? Great question. Well, first, let me start by saying that many times the law firm feels like it's a great relationship and they've done all this great work and the client values them. And I hope that that's true. I really do. But I would say, unfortunately, when you look at survey results, more often than not, clients are less happy with their law firms than law firms realize. Mm. And it's a simple communication gap, in my opinion. And so while you think you're doing all this great work for the client, the client feels like now the bar has been really raised. You doing good legal work, that's table stakes. Because if you can't do it, guess what? There's a bunch of other firms who can do it. And so what clients are expecting is so much more. And they expect their law firm to actually be a business partner. And so a program that we put in place and what we recommend to clients when I was in-house at Flex, and now we we recommend this to clients is they're called QBRs, the quarterly business reviews, but I don't know a company who's actually sitting down at their firm quarterly. (laughs) That would be pretty (laughs) insane. Nobody has the time to do that. But what we would do is we still call them QBRs, but we would take our top 20 firms and then five per quarter, we would try to actually meet with in person or over the phone. Wow. 
And, and so we would hit 20 over the course of the year. And what we would do is we would go out and survey. And thankfully now there are tools that actually help you with this, but we were doing it manually. Well, we were doing like a little survey, you know, an online survey within our department of, okay, Hey lawyers, these are the, these are the matters this firm worked on. And, you know, this is what we spent with them, whatever data we had in our e-billing system. And then we would ask the lawyers to rate the firm. And then we would take that information and based on the outcome, I mean, outcomes are critical. That does not, good legal work does not go away. Remember, that's table right. stakes. You have to do good legal work. But it's, it's other stuff. It's like, how, how responsive were they? Did they act wow. like a partner? Were they proactive in communications? Did they follow our billing guidelines? Did they sign our MSA without giving us a hard time? Were they easy to do business with? Did they provide information beyond the scope of this engagement? Like if you see, if a new regulation came out that they knew would be affecting us, did they proactively write a little memo and say, hey, this, you know, just so you know, this is coming down the pike. So there are all these great things that law firms can do and just to, just to be more proactive. And so we would rate them and then we would actually ask the firm to come to us with feedback on our team and how we can better partner. And then we would have that discussion with them. And usually they were, well, at least at first they were very hesitant to come to the table with information. And so we had to kind of say, look, this isn't, you know, don't feel like you need to assassinate anybody on our team. We get it. But like, how can we better partner together? There's very, you know, positive ways to, to structure that, right? So that you're giving good information without making it feel like you're ratting somebody out or whatever. So yeah. when you were talking about the questions on the surveys, we can just assume, like you said, the legal skills, the results, that's table stakes, everything that you mentioned, I would categorize them as soft skills. Is that a correct right. assumption? Yes, Scott, it, it absolutely is. It is. So in terms of increasing the spend, if I want to get more business from a company, if I can train my partners on the soft skills, those things that you mentioned that the companies are rating and ranking, if I can get a higher rating and ranking on that, I'm probably going to get more business. You are. I, there's no doubt in my mind. And the reality is when we did our programs, you know, when you look at, okay, what if we wanted to do RFPs or panels or convergence programs, whatever it was, when it came down to two or three firms that we were going to pick and they all did great legal work and, you know, there was pluses and minuses in each area. But at the end of the day, it was who is easier to do business with? Who do we like working with better? A hundred percent. That's interesting. So if a, if a law firm wants to get more business from clients, I would even recommend to them that they look at how can they hire consultants or trainers that can train their partners in customer service issues, things like that. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And there's great trainers out there. The LMA, the Legal Marketing Association, does a lot around that. There's a bunch of organizations that do a lot around training. And I think that's really critical. And coming to the table with data, you know, the one thing that in-house teams really struggle with is their budget constraints. They just are, whereas law firms have, have more leeway there. So when you look at having teams to pool spend data and analytics and all of that, we struggle with that in-house. We're always trying to find better ways of doing that, but it's critical to how we do business because there's no way a general counsel can go into a meeting with the CEO and just say, I'm not sure what we spent last year or uh, what are we going to spend this year? I don't know, maybe 10% more than we spent last year. I mean, that they would just get slaughtered. And so we have to come to the table with that data. If the law firms actually were proactive 
and said, Hey, look, you know, this is what you spent with us. This is, you know, had we lost these cases, this is what you could have spent. Here's the cost avoidance number. You know, here's where we see we could do better next year. I mean, if they came with just a little bit of data, it would be, it would go such a long way. I mean, the bar is set low as far as, as I'm concerned with, with that kind of proactive data. We just don't see firms coming to the table with it. Like I said, the firms don't even know if the GC has a chief of staff or legal operations or anything like that. And, right. and it's so critical to how legal departments are run. They should know this. So let me ask you this, and you don't have to mention names of firms, but have you ever seen law firms that are proactive in that way where they will reach out to their chief of staff? They will have data ready. Have you ever seen that happen before? A handful of times. And frankly, it's because the firm knew me. And so they knew I was there. And I think because they were expecting me to be in the meeting when we did our QBRs, they came to the table prepared. Uh, But more often than not, they were not prepared. Right. Well, what are some other things that you think law firm partners and those in a leadership role within a law firm should know about your topic? Anything else that's on your mind? And then we can kind of talk more about what's on their mind from an operations and tech perspective. Sure. You know, I think from the firm perspective is, and, and I, hear, I hear this from firms a lot, but they're, they will say things like, look, we, we try to be creative with our clients. We've offered AFAs, alternative fee arrangements, and the client doesn't trust it and says, no, no, still bill hourly. And so I think there's sometimes a little bit of a push from the firms to try to do something different, but the in-house teams aren't quite ready yet. And so then, then it just dies on the vine. And I think it's not, it, it can't just stop there. And I think partly why that happens, I think, is because oh, well, if the law firm is recommending it, it must be bad for me. There's a little <laughs> bit of that attitude there. Like there, this must be a way for them to make a lot of money. I, I, I just <laughs> right, don't right. understand, you know, and how, no. And so a couple of things that the firms can do is one, it's an attitude versus just like, oh, I, I offered them this and they said, no, so forget it. That's the wrong attitude. I think having this constant mindset of, hey, how can we be creative here? You know, what, what else can we be doing besides the substantive legal work? Can I help you with knowledge management? Can I help you like have, you know, with a repository? Do you need to, to store your, the documents that we share somewhere, but you guys are, you know, your CAM program is a mess. Can we help you with that? Is there a way, you know, for, for us just to, um, instead of, Hey, can we buy you a subscription? We used to have one of our law firms pay for our Law 360 subscription, you know, because it was very expensive and and we we got our budget cut. So instead of, you know, sending us Christmas gifts or whatever, no, just pay pay for a subscription. Like there's law firms will be, can be creative. They have more budget. They can do a lot of great things, you know, CLEs, right? Come, we're going to do a lunch and learn. There's all kinds of things they could be doing to help their in-house clients. And so I think being creative and trying to to just be helpful beyond just, oh, here's that brief I wrote for you, I think would will go a long way. And it will make you appear to be, because you are, in fact, being a, a true partner. And anything you can do to make the GC look good, right? So if it is, hey, this new law, this new regulation, this is going to affect you guys, and you write just a three-sentence blurb on how it's going to affect your client and send it to them, then they can then, they can then go and share that with the executive team. That You just made your GC look really good. So there are that's a lot of proactive ideas. things. Yeah. yeah that's great. Just, and it's not, it doesn't take much, right? 
And and also, you know what? There's usually a client development person within the firm. The bigger firms usually have them. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of great ideas and I think they're an underutilized resource. And so I think the partners need to really work with them. They have great, every single one I've talked to, I swear, has the best ideas. And they're usually beating the drum and some people listen to them, some people don't. I think they're underutilized. So do you think a law firm, and I don't know if this is an offering that you have, because I know you mostly consult to corporations for the in-house departments, but could a law firm hire you as an advisor to help them understand and get business from clients in this area, in the ops and tech area? For sure. And I do spend a lot of time talking to the firms. They don't usually hire us, but I talk to them. (laughs) But Uh what I would say is where the law firm can really do something creative is once they start talking to their GCs and they see the GCs struggling with tech, struggling with processes, doesn't have contracting under control, doesn't have any of the operations under control, a law firm could and would look, I think, very proactive if they said, hey, you know, we partner with up-level ops, we can bring them in to, to help you with these programs. Right. You know, so it is a way we've offered it up. And I've talked to a couple of the big firms. They conceptually love the idea. It, it just usually doesn't go anywhere. I think, right. again, people just get, you know, their heads down, they get buried in their day-to-day work and it just goes nowhere. But I think that would be a big value add to say, we've got this strategic partner or whatever who can come in and help you guys with these issues, that would, to me, it seems like a no-brainer. I think that would be a really good idea. I think that would be right. a smart move on the firm's part. And tell me about the conferences or associations or places that you've spoken at in the legal industry. Where have you done a lot of your speaking? Yeah, I do um, Clock Early On, which is the organization that I co-founded, but it's really focused on, in to be a member now, you have to be in-house, and, and I'm a vendor now. I see. So I don't speak at that organization anymore. But ACC, I'm speaking at one of their events next week. Um, the Legal Marketing Association, I've spoken at their events. And then Legal Tech Association. So Legal Tech does a big conference in New York and um, on the West Coast. And I've spoken with on their panels before ALT, the Association of Legal Technologists. I've spoken there. So it's usually focused around legal tech and, how, and, and in-house teams, those, those types of organizations. Do you find that a lot of firms will attend those conferences also kind of as a way to make connections with in-house uh, points of contact? They do. And I think they should be, should be attending those more. So they're usually for the, for the in-house conferences, although, you know, they have to sponsor those events. So I, there, they just can't attend as normal attendees. I think they have to actually sponsor them. So, oh, I see. Um, I see. Yeah, like ACC is a good example of that. And I think they try to keep the ratio more to in-house. They want it focused on in-house professionals, you know, with a certain number of, of uh, right. sponsorships. That makes sense. But they do, there are some small, you know, uh, local events. There's tons of them, especially in the Bay Area where I'm located. There's a bunch of little events and we do see some law firms attending and I think it's good for them to to attend. And like I said, when when I'm speaking to firms at these events, Bloomberg Law just did a big one out here a couple months ago that I spoke at. And um when there's a lot of law firm members in the audience, the ones who are asking the majority of questions and who seem to be most engaged are the client relationship folks, 
like they're really on it. They, they want to know what's going on. And so I, I spend a lot of time talking to them. So that's why I say that they're really plugged into this community. And I think, you know, to the attorneys out there who are looking to expand your client base and expand the work that you've got within your current clients, you should be talking to, to your folks who are doing that, well, playing that role. That's great advice, Stephanie. And I want to thank you again for joining me on the podcast today. I think you've given a lot of great information that can help partners to understand what's going on in the mind of their clients and some other some other great suggestions as well. We'll put your website and also the Corporate Legal Operations Consortium website links on the show notes. And uh, just thanks so much for your time and being a guest on the show today, Stephanie. Thank you so much for having me, Scott. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining me. And if you have ideas or recommendations for this podcast, please email me at scott at attorneysearchgroup.com. For more information about the Attorney Search Group and the services I offer as a sports agent for partners who want to find a better platform, visit me on the web at attorneysearchgroup.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.